Welcome to Policy Pod, P-O-R-F podcast. The Ideas Factory is an exclusive series by ORF that delves into the big geopolitical events that affect India and the world. Hello and a very warm welcome to this episode of the Ideas Factory. I'm Nagma. Joining me is Professor Harsh Pant. And on this episode of the Ideas Factory, an unsuccessful assassination bid on former Pakistani Prime Minister Imran Khan. What does it mean for Pakistan's politics? What does it mean for Imran Khan and the army or Imran Khan versus the Pakistani army? We will also look at uh, Rishi Sunak's Uh, term as the British Prime Minister and the challenges that he now faces and what can he do really to, uh, you know, bring Britain out of the turbulent economic crisis that is facing Britain. We will also look at the US midterm elections and, of course, Xi Jinping's comeback and his new cabinet. All that on this episode of the Ideas Factory. So, Harsh, I would like to begin uh, by looking at what has happened in China, Xi Jinping has come back very strongly. He is he has reiterated or rather the 20th Congress reiterated that he is the center of Chinese power and no one will dare challenge him. It is being said that he is he has brought in such people in the cabinet who can never challenge him. And all those who had any kind of political impact have been kept out. So he has left no room really for any kind of political challenge. How do you look at this centralization of power? Um, it is quite extraordinary, Nagma. I think uh, it's, uh, of course, it's a president defying uh, uh, third term for him. Uh, and the way he laid out the vision for China and his uh, third term um, uh, was also that we talked about in the last episode uh, was was uh, you know was quite expansive in terms and very very aggressive uh, very assertive of Chinese interests uh, and very clear in terms of where he wants to take China. Uh, but I think what uh, the 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 way he unveiled his uh, his so called cabinet the the political Politburo members uh, is is another story because that tells you how the domestic politics and the domestic political landscape in China is also changing uh, around Xi Jinping and with Xi Jinping. Uh, we have had uh, you know for a long time the sense that. Uh, Deng Xiaoping had laid out this sense of collective leadership that no one person should become too powerful. This was good, uh, according to Deng at that particular point in time, that was seen as good for the Communist Party, uh, that was seen as good for China. Uh, and, and I think that was seen as, uh, as, in, in, the, as seen, uh, in the larger interest of, of, of Chinese people. Now, she has overturned a lot of those maxims. She has now uh, gone back to the era of, of Mao, uh, which incredibly, you know, was one of the most brutal personalities of the 20th century. So he's replicating himself, uh, he, you know, the, the cult of personality that he's building around, that she's building around himself, uh, according to what he thinks, um, uh, you know, what, what is required at this juncture. But it reminds a lot of people with what Mao had, had achieved and was trying to achieve with all the consequences for China and for the world. So I think this is a this is definitely an inflection point in the way 
uh, Chinese domestic politics is evolving. It will have great consequences for domestic politics. It will have great consequences for global politics. It will have great consequences for Chinese neighbors. So the more centralization there is, uh, the more totalitarian uh, the, the government becomes in China, uh, the leadership becomes in China, the Communist Party becomes in China. Uh, I, I think the ability of the rest of the world to communicate uh, reduces, the ability of the world to engage reduces, uh, and the ability of the world to shape China uh, in, in a more liberal way also reduces. And I think that is what we have witnessed over the last decade. But now going forward, as he has packed uh, his team with his uh, yes men, uh, and of course, there are no women uh, anywhere yeah. to be seen this time. Of course, and uh, that's also probably the first time in 25 years. Extraordinary, I think, okay. yes, that uh, you would have, um, you know, 1.3 billion people and, and hardly a woman there uh, as, as their representative. But of course, you know, Chinese Communist Party is not known to be rep representative uh, and they don't believe in, 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 in representation. Uh, if, they, if, if they were believing in that, it would be a, different, a very different political party. But I think the, the sense that you can govern a country of the size uh, with a clique with a with a with a small group of people who are beholden to you uh, also brings with it uh, you know certain some very significant challenges now one can assume that you know from his perspective this is about driving pushing through his agenda much more forcefully in a much more focused manner uh, and and therefore delivering the results by 2049 that he had envisioned uh, China becoming the 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 leading power, the the you know the main player in, on the global stage, and also uh, 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 achieving the so-called Chinese vision. But I think uh, it it creates complexities because if the experimentation goes awry, then there are problems within China, and those problems will create uh, you know its own consequences for the world. And and centralization of this kind we have seen through history, especially in autocracies, uh, never leads to good results. Now, either she is extraordinary, cap extraordinarily capable uh, or uh, he is trying to defy some very significant odds. But I think this is what uh, his, his Politburo membership at the moment reveals, an extraordinary centralization. And therefore, the, the, the world and particularly the neighbors uh, should be watching very, very carefully how the policies evolve. Absolutely. Like you said, he has, um, he has categorically expelled... <laughs> All the party veterans, he has kept them out and he's gotten people who are his yes men and apparently a team of six core members are the ones who form this uh, cabinet and uh, more and more centralization there we are looking at. Uh, we shift to the US. US is facing a midterm election that's on November 8. And, um, you know, of course, Biden and Obama are all... Um, pitching for how people should vote to save democracy. But what's at stake here, Harsh, for the Democrats? Will the U.S. midterm elections be a game changer? Uh, you know, what's at stake for the Democrats here and how can it uh, really alter the power game? What, what does it mean for the Republicans? Will they actually gain more control um, over the Senate? So uh, how do we look at this and what can what kind of, kind of changes can it bring around in U.S. domestic politics and the power game there? I think this may turn out to be one of the most consequential midterm elections because traditionally we have seen midterm elections where the ruling party um, generally loses. And the and we have seen, you know, if you go back to Obama, there was a major, major um, uh, resurgence of the Republicans uh, in the midterms. But I think this one is particularly uh, serious because. 
uh, it hinges uh, on on the on the on the results of this midterm hinges um, the 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 future productivity of Biden presidency. Uh, I think uh, the 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 prediction is the opinion polls are suggesting that it's going to be very very close. Uh, in fact, uh, the, the the no one is questioning that the House of Congress. Uh, will go to the Republicans. Uh, the debate is about the scale of their victory there. Uh, and then in the Senate, the, the debate is or, or the discussion is around, um, you know, um, uh, how will the will the balance tilt? Uh, increasingly, you have, um, uh, you know, those who observe uh, American politics giving it to the to the Republicans again. So I think uh, it is going to be very significant because with Republicans in charge, you can see the entire dynamic changing in American politics. Uh, the focus of both political parties are on different sets of issues. And I think for Mr. Biden, this is a particular dilemma because he has not been very popular from the very beginning. If you look at his popularity ratings, they have been going down ever since his, you know, his his election after a few months. And uh, it looked for a brief period in the summer that uh, that Democrats might not do that badly, that Democrats might uh, again gain because of, of the Supreme Court ruling on abortion rights, uh, which gives galvanized a lot of uh, 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 a lot of the politics on the left. But I think that has dissipated now under the economic stress, uh, under this, this idea that crime is surging. Uh, there is a lot of concern about uh, immigration. So I think by and large, the, those issues on which Republicans are stronger, uh, those issues are now galvanizing uh, or, or mobilizing the electorate. And that's not good news for the Democrats. Uh, and if that continues to hold on the election day, then I think uh, we, we can see the entire appending of the, of the Biden agenda. And Mr. Biden will have very difficult time over the next two years but also, I think question marks will once again, flags will be raised whether he's a viable candidate for the next presidency. So you have we have a very interesting um, space here, which is which is going to be watched very, very carefully because uh, Mr. Trump is also in the fray. His many of his candidates uh, are in yes. the fray. He's supporting a lot of a lot of those candidates. Uh, and if they do well, uh, then it's very clear that he's going to come out and say that he's going to be part of the 2024 cycle. And that's again uh, going to put, uh, you know, uh, bring America back to that old debate about Trump, Trumpism, uh, and, and where the Republican Party is headed. So I think it, it, it has consequences for the Democrats, for their governance agenda. It will have consequences for the Republican Party and the way Republican Party will evolve from here. If, if, if Mr. Trump's candidates do win, then I think it will expose the fundamental uh, vulnerabilities within the Republican Party as well. That Republicans, instead of moving to the center, are also moving uh, to the right. And that will have implications for, for, for U.S. domestic politics. So I think, uh, you know, th there is uh, perhaps one of the most significant elections we have seen in a generation. Uh, and um, uh, as far as America is concerned, uh, and therefore uh, there is so much interest in what is going to happen. And we would know very, very soon uh, what the results would be. Also, because probably America is going through a bad time in terms of uh, the inflation and uh, many Very other uh, many other issues that are there. So the whole uh, fight is about the House of Representatives, where the Republicans do not have a majority now, but they may come back with a uh, with a higher number now. That's what it is said because uh, you know the Senate. They are basically we have to see where does it tilt right now. It's in perfect equilibrium, but where does it tilt? But the whole uh, fight is about the House of Representatives, and like you said, of course, the future course of action uh, for 
for President Biden. Uh, they, I mean, UK has a new prime minister and there's a lot of celebration and jubilation here in India that we've seen, but he faces difficult times ahead. And UK also is going through one of the worst times in terms of its economy. Uh, what are the kind of challenges that uh, Rishi Sunak faces and uh, how in, uh, after a very long, probably can we expect that there'll be some kind of stability in UK's politics? Well, I think, um, uh, Nagma, that's uh, uh, essentially what Mr. Sunak's presidency will be about, whether he can provide some semblance of a stability to a very, very turbulent phase in British politics. Uh, so many prime ministers have come and so many prime ministers have gone. Uh, the, Brit the problems that the that Britons are facing remain um, where they were. Uh, and, and, I, and I don't think uh, that the governance uh, has moved. Uh, and therefore, for a lot of... Uh, the Tories, uh, the Conservatives, Rishi Sunak was seen as the right choice because of his uh, economic credentials, because he was the Chancellor of the Exchequer, and that he would, his some of his ideas uh, that actually led uh, him not winning the contest vis-a-vis -vis Listras actually allowed him later on uh, to gain the confidence of the of the uh, of the Conservatives and the uh, you know uh, members of Parliament, um, because he's seen as someone who can manage. Um, um these challenges much better than any other player uh, on the on the on the conservative side at this point but i think you know that the challenges are enormous the challenges as we know uh, britain is is going through a very very difficult phase the post brexit uh, economic direction uh, has not been ascertained as of yet uh, again cost of living crisis inflation economic crises on multiple fronts uh, continue to beckon this has been a very serious summer for them uh, and then this is going to be a very difficult winter uh, and uh, and and unless uh, mr sunak is able to convince a large majority of the country uh, that conservatives can govern and govern with an effective agenda uh, we have seen a resurgence of the labor party so i think for him the challenge is domestic uh, which is political in nature he has to establish himself as a leader of the uh, of the conservatives across uh, the union he has to establish himself as a credible economic manager and he has to establish himself uh, as a, as a global leader at a time when uh, britain is trying to establish a post brexit foreign policy so enormous challenges for him uh, and given the the again uh, the the, the economic uh, woes that Britain is passing through, primarily his focus would be domestic. But for India, as we know, uh, one of the issues is the FTA that, that we are negotiating, which was supposed to have been negotiated by Diwali. Uh, and we have seen uh, that has fallen through. Uh, and, and although the um, indications are that the, that the negotiations continue, but with this kind of a political turbulence, uh, any, you know, uh, that, uh, any ambitious uh, foreign policy agenda will have to wait because first, Rishi Sunak will have to establish himself, consolidate his his uh, power, and then maybe make a move uh, towards uh, this very, very contentious, in, in some ways, um, uh, agreement. Uh, and, and we know the, the, the challenges there, uh, including immigration. But I think uh, his challenge is, is twofold, to convince the, the, the conservatives that he's serious about their concerns and to convince India that he's serious about what India wants out of this FTA. Absolutely. And probably here, 
Indians have to understand that it is Britain's prime minister and his British, not that the Indian. And Indian has gone there and probably he has to look after India's interests first, the kind of jubilation and celebration that we saw here. But everywhere, it's all about economy and the bad economy that the countries are facing. And same with Brazil. Now, the re-election for the third time of uh, President Luzio Lula. What uh, Will he be able to pull Brazil out of the poverty that Brazil is facing? That's the question. And what does... Uh, his re-election a third time, the leftist leader's re-election tell. And I, I mean, if it has any implication for Brazil-India relations. Well, I, I don't think so. It has particularly, uh, you know, any any uh, significant uh, implications either way. I think India and Brazil relations have been growing gradually and they will continue to evolve whoever is the president of Brazil, um, given that our interests in terms of, uh, you know, as emerging powers, as major uh, global regional players, India in the Indo-Pacific, Brazil in, in, in the Americas, is, uh, converges at, at a number of levels as far as, uh, you know, global multilateral issues are concerned. But I think where, uh, what, what, uh, uh, Lula's visit, um, uh, I think, uh, would would reassure where it would reassure a lot of people would be on the in, on the environmental front because uh, his predecessor, uh, Mr. Bolsonaro, had taken uh, a particularly negative approach to uh, the uh, to environmental preservation in the Amazon rainforests, and there he was he he was uh, seen as someone who was not adhering to the to the global norms uh, on uh, on environmental issues, and and he was seen as an outlier. Uh, so, so there is, I think, there, there's some relief uh, in, in the, you know, um, in, in, when it comes to uh, the environmental issues, and that uh, Mr. Lula would continue to be uh, a bit more uh, open-minded and a bit more responsible towards this very, very uh, important issue for Brazil and for the rest of the world. But I think where uh, uh, what we have also what we have also seen is that Brazil. Uh, it has also become highly polarized. You know, this was uh, when when it all started. It looked that Mr. Mr. Lula would win um, very easily, but he did not win very easily. He had to go to the second round, and even the final results were only one and a half percent difference between the two candidates. So it's a it's a it's a very polarized country at the moment. And people, uh, so first thing he'll have to do is to unite that country because uh, a lot of the people on who who, who have supported Mr. Bolsonaro uh, do not look at Mr. Lula as uh, as as a you know. A, as a credible candidate, they view him as a thief. All kinds of terms have been used against him, uh, and he, you know, he he also responded in kind against Mr. Bolsonaro. It was a particularly divisive campaign. Uh, so I think the first challenge is to unite the country, and then, of course, as you said, economic relations, uh, economic problems are at front and center. Now his record is very good uh, when he when he uh, managed uh, to reduce poverty in Brazil. Uh, significantly during his first term. But I think now the equations are different. The world is still grappling with the post-pandemic economic environment. Uh, the global uh, economic uh, situation is particularly vulnerable. Uh, countries have to find resources uh, and resilience from within rather than from without, uh, you know, which, which used to happen in the rather than from the external space that used to happen in the past. So I think I, I think it would be uh, it Lula's response would be contingent on whether he finds enough resilience within the Brazilian economy uh, to to move forward in a manner that allows uh, for a reduction of poverty, which is very, which is a major issue, and which is one of the, I think, uh, one of the main reasons why a lot of people will have voted for him uh, to bring uh, the economy back on track. Of course, and of course, Pakistan. Then, lastly, Pakistan, which never fails to surprise. I mean, just a few. Like we were all uh, really shocked to hear, uh, uh, thankfully, an unsuccessful assassination bid on former Prime Minister Imran Khan while he was carrying on with his 
Hakiki Azadi March and this happening in the Punjab province. He survived, uh, you know, but the way he has named some important people in Pakistan behind this assassination bid uh, in the FIR, uh, it clearly you know, it has drawn the battle line between Imran Khan and the army. Uh, it was also said that his he was probably also attacking the army, trying to divide the army. Uh, he's accused the current Prime Minister Shehbaz Sharif for masterminding this entire uh, assassination attempt. He has named a senior ISI general. He's also named the interior minister. Of course, they are saying that it is all baseless. But what does it really mean for Imran Khan politically? What does it mean for Imran, for Pakistani politics? And we, we've also seen that he's a very popular leader. So does that also enhance his popularity in terms of being a mass leader? I mean, look at the, the recent, some of the election results that have come out. Uh, so does he really, his, his whole popularity gain momentum after this? And uh, I mean, a Pakistani army, the all-powerful army, and this popular leader now. So it's one versus the other. Yes, I think the very significant battle lines being drawn, and I think between two very, very important stakeholders. Uh, and, you know, on the one hand, you have, uh, you have Mr. Khan, uh, who continues to be uh, one of the most popular politicians in Pakistan that we have seen in recent times. He's, he's a genuine mass leader. Uh, and in, in some ways, uh, his, uh, his ineffectiveness as the prime minister only seems to have consolidated his popularity post his uh, his uh, uh, you know um, uh, prime ministership so i think uh, in some ways uh, there is after a long time we are witnessing this kind of mass uh, movement uh, in, in favor of a politician uh, people are thronging uh, his rallies people are joining his marches and what he says uh, also is something that is being taken very seriously by people, you know, he's he's able to communicate very effectively to people, and that I think has put uh, uh, him squarely against the army, which is again we know one of the most important, the most important institution in the country. But we have not seen any other politician so far damaging the army the way Imran Khan is damaging army's credibility, bit by bit, drop by drop, day after day, leveling allegations, making army uh, the almost butt of ridicule, which has not happened in Pakistan, um, you know, for a very long time. So I think, you know, uh, in some ways, this assassination attempt uh, enhances his credibility as, as a leader who has come out uh, uh, you know, of, of this crisis, and despite that, he's 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 moving along. He's challenging the army. He's not afraid. Uh, he's he's willing to take on uh, the the most important group in the country. Uh, and I think that uh, enhances his credibility as a as a mass leader, as a leader who has, uh, you know, who who is genuinely who in some ways genuinely represents the people. So I I think it's going to be a very very interesting contest between him and the army. And I think it's it's a question of who blinks first, uh, because army is really under pressure. And we have seen army coming out, ISI coming out and uh, having press conferences, uh, including that press conference on, 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 the, on the journalist who was killed abroad. So I think there are multiple uh, issues on which army is under pressure at this point. Uh, and it's, 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 it's very evident. And we have not seen that kind of uh, in Pakistani army and being under so much pressure. So, uh, you know, it, it is certainly, uh, uh, you know, a politically interesting time in Pakistan. But I think it is also very dangerous because when you when you have such an such an important institution like the army pushed to a corner, then you, ne you never know, you know, what kind of, uh, you know, recourse 
they might take and, and what kind of avenues they might find to retaliate. And I think so. Sure. Uh, but one thing is sure that we are looking at a lot of turbulence over the near future. I, I don't see this uh, ending well i don't see this resolving anytime soon and i don't see that there the, you know the, in, in pakistan a political uh, center which can hold because you have these tendencies which are which continue to divide pakistan today uh, much like they have divided in the past the, you know their the faces might be different but i think the tendencies are the same Absolutely, an already turbulent Pakistan's political atmosphere is further disturbed after this assassination bid. And interestingly, it has increased Imran Khan's popularity and credibility. And also Imran Khan has managed to increase the pressure on the Pakistani, the all-powerful Pakistani army, which is probably happening in a very long time. So those are very interesting times for Pakistan's democracy too. Thank you so much, Harsh, for that analysis. And that's it from us on this episode of the Ideas Factory. Thank you for tuning in to Policy Pod, the ORF podcast. Please subscribe to our channel for updates on upcoming episodes.